When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Williams wants to fade, stoops in the end zone for a touchdown Oklahoma. The stoops you hear from the crowd could be for father or son. And I think it's definitely for son after that catch. What's up, Sooner Nation? You know what time it is. It is podcast time. Like, we're a day delayed already in getting this out to you guys. And so I want to apologize for that. But, you know, sometimes life and jobs and, and real world stuff gets in the way. But here we are. Um, OU basketball recap coming up. Uh, we got some football recruiting notes. A uh, big weekend, actually, for Oklahoma this coming weekend right now uh, in Norman. And then always uh, true or false questions. Uh, featuring you guys, our listeners, and we want to say thanks so much uh, in advance to those of you who participated in that. Again, you can always uh, shout out to the Center Nation podcast. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. That's the best way. Or you can hit our Facebook page, uh, Heartland Sports on Facebook. And uh, we try to put out there when we're going to be collecting true or false questions for the podcast. And that is your opportunity to have your say, have your question, have your statement uh, read on the show. And then we'll tell you if we agree or disagree and the reasons behind it. Let's start with Oklahoma basketball, though. Uh, Sooners dropped to 12-6. and It's three losses in a row now. And things don't look good right now for Oklahoma basketball. And I'm not going to jump in here and say the Porter Mosier era is in jeopardy because it's absolutely not. If you've been around this program, if you've um, been to the games, if you've been to the um, – if you see even watched them on TV, you, you see that the intensity, you see the – the level of passion that these guys play with. They're just running through a brutal stretch of the schedule. Uh, you have a narrow loss in Waco to what was at the time the number one team in the nation. You have a loss at home to Kansas. And things don't really get better because up next, Saturday, probably the day of or the day after you listen to this podcast, you've got uh, Baylor Bears coming into Norman. And then you're on the road twice at West Virginia and at Auburn, who just so happens to be the number two team in the country at the moment before coming home to play TCU and then on the road in Stillwater for the first round of Bedlam. So if you're keeping track, what that means is after Baylor, three of your next four games are on the road. And you know what we've talked about? What we've always said when it comes to basketball is that uh, when you, you got to protect the home court. Absolutely have to protect the home court. And when you drop games at home, that means you got to pick one up on the road. We talked about that's why the TCU loss, the overtime loss in Fort Worth was such a big, big deal because of this schedule coming up at home with Kansas and Baylor back-to-back. Losing the game to the Jayhawks on Tuesday night puts this team now in – uh, in a position where they absolutely have to pick up a game on the road. West Virginia is your first opportunity to do that. You know, Auburn doesn't count. You're number two team in the country, obviously that would be a huge win for this program. But uh, that's not going to count as far as conference play. You know, Captain Obvious statement there. So you got to get games back in conference. So that means you got to win against Baylor 
right now, if you win against Baylor, you only got to pick up one on the road. But you drop against Baylor, which would not only be their fourth loss in a row, would not only drop them to 12 and 7 on this season, it means you got to pick up two on the road. And your first two opportunities to do that would be at West Virginia and at Stillwater against Oklahoma State. Neither of those are going to be ideal situations in which you're going to be able to pick up wins. Not, not saying that they can't do it. I, I, I think that they could, they could actually go out and upset Baylor. I think that could happen on Saturday with the intensity and the passion that this team plays with. And they're, they're, they're a, a talented team that's still trying to find their stride. Some, I saw somebody say on, uh, on social media that maybe they peaked too early. No, no, they didn't. Um, I, I don't think that's, that's a situation. I think they had a favorable schedule early. Now you're going through what is the, just the you know, worst part of your schedule right now. And mark my words, here's what's going to happen. Regardless of, of the outcome of this Baylor game on Saturday, Oklahoma is going to finish this season strong. They're going to finish playing very, very well. They're going to finish with a, a winning streak or something where they win like four out of five or something along those lines. And it's it's because of two things. Number one, because they're, they're getting better uh, as the season goes on. And number two, the schedule's favorable. The schedule was favorable at the front of this of the season. The schedule's not so favorable right now in the middle as conference play gets underway. And then the fa- the schedule will swing back around to being favorable one more time as the season winds down. But Porter Mosier's team sitting at twelve and six right now. I don't think it's I just I don't think we're to the point yet where we can start talking about tournament and seeding and bubble and all that stuff. They're just not ready for that yet. Now, next month, when you turn the calendar to February, then that stuff starts to come into play just a little bit. But at this point, you just got to go out and win. And uh, unfortunately, like I said, it's, it's a bad stretch and things don't look positive because you you play Kansas, you play Baylor back-to-back, and you need to take to the road for three out of four games with one of them being a huge rivalry game and the other one, oh, yeah, the number two team in the country. The biggest story right now concerning Oklahoma athletics is recruiting, and uh, it's a huge, huge weekend going on right now for the Sooners. Um, you know, we're still waiting on transfer portal news, and, and you know how this works as far as podcasting goes. You drop a podcast, and then like that night or the next morning, some breaking news happens and occurs somewhere along the way, which means here's what's going to happen. I'm going to produce this podcast. It's going to go out on Friday evening. Uh, yeah, I know. We already said we're a day late, but it's going to go out on Friday evening. And then at some point before we record again on Sunday, Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart, that whole crew, they're going to make their uh, their announcements and make a lot of what we would have said about the transfer portal null and void. So we're going to skip the transfer portal uh, portion of this podcast just because there's nothing new. Until those announcements start rolling through, uh, there's absolutely nothing new to update on that front. However, when you look at what Oklahoma is doing right now as far as the 2022 recruiting class, there's a huge push going on this weekend to try to wrap that class up and, and wrap it up in a way that would allow them to finish strong. The Sooners currently ranked number 10 nationally uh, by 24-7 sports in the 2022 recruiting class, and then they have the number two class in the Big 12 coming in right behind Texas. But you look at what the, the big recruiting weekend going on in Norman, and there's really two names that could, could make, make a major boost 
uh, in those recruiting class rankings and help Oklahoma finish 2022 on a, the 2022 class on a strong note. And I think you start with Gentry Williams, the number one player in the state of Oklahoma. If you look at the entire 2022 recruiting class, he's the number 16 player in the class out of Tulsa, uh, Booker T. Washington. And he's already had his official visit to the University of Oklahoma. He did that under the Lincoln Riley coaching regime in uh, Alex Grinch and so forth that had him come in. But because there is a coaching change, he was able to get a another official visit. So this is actually the second official visit that Ginger Williams has had to Norman uh, for the University of Oklahoma. And that, that bodes well for two reasons. Number one, he's been pretty quiet. Um, he, he just basically said, I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to sign during the early signing period. I'm going to wait until February. I'm going to I'm going to fill this thing out. I'm going to have more conversations um, with with, you know, with Brent Venables and and so forth. And I want to know that I feel for sure what I'm doing is right. That said, you haven't heard a lot about Ginger Williams uh, taking in other visits and, and talking to other coaches. I'm sure he's done that to an extent, but when you compare that to guys in the transfer portal like Caleb Williams, like Mario Williams, like Latrell McCutcheon, those type of guys who are out there just really kind of checking out where they're going to go next. Ginger Williams has been really quiet on that front. He remains committed to the University of Oklahoma for this 2022 class. And, and the truth is Oklahoma needs him. you got to get the number one player in the state. And, and it starts, you're recruiting uh, in the home state starts with Ginger Williams. Sooners missed out on the number one player in the 2021 class. They did get Ethan Downs. And, you know, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, we have said this repeatedly that Ethan Downs was the number one player in the state of Oklahoma when at the time of his commitment, but then by the time the final rankings shook out, he was number two. And so this it makes it a even more of a priority to get Gentry Williams. And I don't know that there's been anything there outside of just his willingness to pause, drink it all in, so to speak, have a conversation with the coaches, survey the field, so to speak, with his 19 scholarship offers and see where he fits in. None of that is a reason for concern. All of that is, is absolutely acceptable and reasonable when the kid's making his decision in regards to where he's going to spend the next three to five years of his life. And so I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you you feel confident about Ginger Williams from the standpoint that he's never decommitted from this class, that he did say he wanted to have these conversations with Brent Venables and that he is making yet another official visit to the University of Oklahoma this weekend. And I don't think it's something where you're going to see a commitment from him because he's already committed uh, what you may see coming out of the weekend or sometime between now and early February, you're going to see an affirmation of his commitment to the University of Oklahoma. Now it gets into what's what that's what I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Ginger Williams in the category of this is what Oklahoma has. 
he's currently the only player on this 2022 class who's committed and not signed. Now, we've talked about Jaron Kanak, who, uh, quote, unquote, is not signed with a national letter of intent, but he is because he's already on campus. He's enrolled for the spring semester. He's going to be there. So Gentry Williams does remain the wild card, a guy who's committed but yet not really there just yet as far as landing and, and sealing the deal on him. But there's another guy on campus who can help make a huge momentum swing for this class, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And that's three-star defensive lineman Ahmad Moten out of, out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Now, this is a kid who's got 24 scholarship offers, 6'3", 290 pounds. Oklahoma's uh, competing with the likes of Iowa State, Miami, North Carolina, and Tennessee to get this to get him and and he's important for two reasons number one because of of what he can do on the interior of a defensive line he's a recruit that kind of was a late bloomer in terms of his of just seeing his recruiting take off but he's a guy that like i said 24 scholarship offers there there's a lot of people out there who are taking notice of him late um he was a lean towards iowa state never really committed to the cyclones but now he's in Norman, and, and this would be a, a really big deal for the University of Oklahoma in terms of having that guy for this class that could really be the kind of the, the clogged player in the middle of the defensive line. And, and so you want him for that reason. You want him for the, for the purposes of the fact that he's going to fit into your scheme, fit into what you want, and be a, a key player in that in that on the defensive front but you want him for a second reason because his buddy is r mason thomas now if that name sounds familiar to you he he's a guy that has been rumored to be in uh i, I don't know how to say this he's committed to iowa state right now but the rumors have been swirling for a while now that he would be flipping his commitment from the cyclones to the sooners and moton and r mason thomas kind of want to be a package deal they kind of want to go play ball together somewhere and so you get the feeling either these two guys are going to play together in Ames Iowa or they're going to play together in Norman Oklahoma and what happens this weekend probably plays a huge huge deal in deciding where that location is going to be uh, our Mason Thomas is the number Again, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, teammate of, of Ahmad Moten. He's the number 25 player from the state of Florida and the number 18 edge rusher. Um, said he's committed to Iowa State. He's got 23 scholarship offers on the table right now. And, um, and you know, it's crunch time. It's, it's crunch time in terms of wrapping up this 2022 recruiting class from a prep perspective. You know, you're, you're still going to have transfer portal stuff that's going to take place throughout the spring into the summer because some of these guys can do classes online and and make a commitment and join in uh wherever they're going to land in the summer workouts some of these guys can can do um you know instead of doing their semester some universities instead of doing a semester in in like you know in in 16 weeks they do eight week uh, segments so you can miss the first eight weeks jump in on the second eight weeks and participate in spring ball so all that said the transfer portal part of recruiting is not going to wrap up by february 2nd like the prep portion of recruiting is going to wrap up and i i think you're still if you're an oklahoma fan 
you're still watching obviously what Caleb Williams does, even though it appears that he's completely out the door now for the Sooners. But there's going to be a domino effect from that that's going to go down to Jackson Dart and so forth. And so you're still going to follow that storyline if you're a fan of Oklahoma football and you want to follow the recruiting guidelines. Um, the recruiting guidelines? You're going to follow the recruiting storylines. I think that's the word I was looking for. So that's, that story's not going away anytime soon. Like I said, transfer. you got guys who were just now this week entering into the transfer portal you got guys from georgia and so forth who who are just now jumping in so there's no way all that's going to be wrapped up in time for the spring semester at various universities but it is going to eventually resolve itself before the summer comes along so that storyline while it will continue the prep recruiting storyline for the 2022 class it's going to go for about two more weeks, and then that's going to be over. So that's why this weekend is a huge deal for the University of Oklahoma as they host these guys in hopes to, uh, to land them as a part of that 2022 class. All right, we got your true or false questions coming up next. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, here we go with the part of the podcast that is quickly becoming my favorite segment in which we – listen to you and well, you got our, your statements whether they're true or false and we tell you our response to that and the reason why uh again just a quick reminder you can hit us up on twitter at sports heartland on twitter you can hit us up with your true or false statements ask us questions throughout the week and we'll do our best to get back with you um, in response to those now that this that said this first one comes from a guy named nick who is pretty active with this uh on twitter and Due to my um, travel schedule, I totally missed a question he asked me uh, a week or so ago. And so I took it and I threw it in there as a true or false question. I rewrote it for you, Nick, and I hope, hopefully, um, hopefully this gets to you. And, uh, and I apologize for the delay in responding. But basically, here's, what, here's the, the gist of what Nick is getting at. Uh, coach Jay, Oklahoma's new cornerback coach, he's the reason why Latrell McCutcheon left Oklahoma and ultimately for USC. Now at the time, uh, to let you know how long this question has been sitting there, at the time, McCutcheon was in the portal uh, when this question was presented to us, and now, uh, well, now he's at USC. I think this is always going to happen. Uh, here's the response to, to the question. I think, I think it was always going to happen. I don't think McCutcheon was was happy in Norman. Um, I know some of that has had, which is ironic because some of that had to do with the schematics and the depth chart uh, that was ahead of Latrell McCutcheon. And here's here's how this makes sense. You don't have to work real hard to scroll through Twitter and find out about his family and their disenfranchisement, if you will, uh, with Oklahoma and the situation that he was in in Norman last season. That said, it's really easy to connect the dots as why he would follow a coaching staff that they were critical of to Southern California. And what it comes down to is the number of bodies that are ahead of him. There, the, the, the path to the field is way more, uh, I mean, I, the only word that comes to mind is soft, and, and maybe that's the right word, um, less cluttered. Uh, the line is shorter, if you, if you get what I'm saying. The, the, he's not going to have to work as hard to find the field uh, in Southern California as he would in Norman, Oklahoma. So part of the problem, in my opinion, with Latrell McCutcheon is part of the problem is seeing guys, young guys, 
um, like Ethan Downs, get on the field consistently and, and be contributors consistently. Danny Stutzman is another guy that Lachelle McCutcheon came in with on, on this class. And those guys get in there and they, they, make, they make the plays. They earn the right to get on the field and, and then they prove the, their merit by making those plays. Latrell McCutcheon didn't have that type of success and he clearly thought he's better than what he actually was. I'm not saying the future's not bright for him. I'm, I'm not saying he can't go out and be a contributor for the Trojans uh, in, in Alex Grinch out west. What I am saying is for his freshman year, he wasn't on par with the other freshmen who made the field. And he, I think he took that personally. Um, and then he kind of took it personally that he was leaving. But when, when you look at when you look at the things that are said social media wise, you, you got to understand that most of those things are amplified even louder in, 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 in small groups, whether you're talking about a defensive room or whether you're talking about a defensive backs room, there were chemistry issues with Latrell McCutcheon and the members of this defense, things that he didn't vibe with. And, and you look at guys like Nick Benito, who's no longer on this team. Nick Benito's working on launching his NFL career, but you know, without saying the name Latrell McCutcheon, Nick Benito calls him out on Twitter, on social media, and that lets you know that things weren't happy. It was not a happy marriage with with Latrell McCutcheon and his teammates. And and I don't think it's a stretch. Why why there's I don't think you're gonna find anybody out there who says, Yep, that's true. And here's how I know that's true, um, as far as giving you actual real life stories and and you know, quote, evidence to back it up. You just got to read between the lines here. And I, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's incredibly difficult to come to the assumption of that's exactly what it is. So was Coach Jay, the hiring of Coach Jay, was he the reason why McCutcheon left? Maybe because Coach Jay is going to say, I'm going to put the best guys on the field. Also, they were after actively going after guys in the portal. And so the, the potential there was that where McCutcheon had to kind of dig himself out from the depth chart, he would have a deeper dig had he stuck around in Norman with a new coach who made no promises to anybody on campus who also is going to give everyone a fair shake and take the best two guys or maybe the best three guys in the rotation and put them on the field. So if, if you're looking at it from that perspective, then yeah, it's absolutely true that the hiring of Coach Jay is what's going to push McCutcheon completely out the door. But all that said, the, the, the signs were there that this kid wasn't going to be around in Norman. Not just chemistry-wise, it, uh, it wasn't working. And so I don't know that um, – I just don't know that you give Coach Jay – full credit for this and, and by the way uh, there, there is some criticism there of the hire and and I mean the guy can't, he's coached in the, in the collegiate ranks he's coached in the professional ranks he came from Alabama you know you, you just you don't make it to Alabama if you don't know what you're doing and I don't think Brent Venables to this point has given anybody a reason to have doubt I mean obviously he hasn't coached his first game at the University of Oklahoma yet but I mean this is a guy who salvaged with the help of Bob Stoops granted salvaged this 2022 recruiting class 
so much so that they're they're going into the spring with a, a wave of momentum recruiting and really he's kind of brought the locker room back together uh, in terms of chemistry and family and, and all that stuff playing for your brother um, I, so I don't I don't know that we're we're on board yet so how about we coach a game or better yet how about we coach a season before we start really kind of laying out our thoughts on whether a hire of a assistant coach was a good or a bad hire. That's just that's just my two cents on that. Um, we're going to move on to the next one. Comes from Craig. True or false? Porter Mosier is already changing the basketball culture in Norman. Okay, I'll bite. Um, changing it from what? Um, I, I mean, how? First of all, let me let me preface this by saying I, I'm a Porter Mosier fan, okay? I think it was a good hire. I, I think it was the best possible hire for this university in the in the current situation they were in, in which he had to completely rebuild this roster. And Mosier is the kind of guy who's got the clout, he's got the track record to reach out to people and they're gonna listen from the transfer portal, and that's why you got Guys like Tanner and Jacob Groves. That's why you got Jordan Goldwire. That's what you got. Why you got Ethan Chagwall. I mean, that's why you got these guys here. But when you talk about changing the culture, change it from what? Because Lincoln, Lincoln I'll start saying Lincoln Riley. I, I brain fart there, right? Um, Lon Kruger, are we, are we forgetting he took this team to the Final Four? Are we forgetting that they were a perennial tournament team? Are we forgetting that they they competed in the upper half of the Big 12? So I, I just don't understand what are we changing? What What is the culture? Because if you're saying he's changing it from a, a if you're, if the perspective is he's changing it from a losing to a winning culture, I don't feel like that applies because they already were a winning culture. Is, is he changing it from a a hustle culture or from a, a non-hustle culture to a hustle culture? Again, already applies. I, I think one one area where you really look at what Porter Mosier's done in Norman in a short time is he's won over the students. So maybe that's where we're going to go with this. Is that Porter Mosier has absolutely won over the students. Go back to that Kansas game on Tuesday night. The student section opens up early. The kids come in. They fill in those seats. And who's bringing pizza to the to the kids? It's Porter Mosier. So maybe in changing the culture of the atmosphere around the team, yeah, I can buy that. I can I can get in on that. I, I can I can buy that. But as far as changing the culture of the way this team plays, I, I think. I think Porter Mosier has a great foundation that Lon Kruger had left for him that he's building on. And so I think in a, in a way, he's an extension of the Lon Kruger legacy. He's an extension of the Lon Kruger ethic. He's an extension of what, of what Lon Kruger did. Now you want to you know a guy who really had to change the culture. That's Lon Kruger. This basketball program was in the dumps. It was a burning dumpster fire when Lon Kruger came to Norman. And now Porter Mosier is a benefactor of what Lon Kruger did. That was changing culture. So as far as the actual play of this team and their place in, in 
the pecking order of the Big 12, I don't think much has changed from the last year of Long Kruger to year one of Porter Mosier. But in the way that the students and the fans embrace this team, yeah, I, I think he has brought some new things there, and I think he's maybe a step ahead of where Long Kruger finished off. So that was a difficult answer to really a, a difficult question, but I think, I think we danced around it pretty well. Right, let's move on. Uh, oh, good. We get to talk about softball now. True or false, Oklahoma softball will repeat in 2022. I, I don't see how you can't say it's not true. Now, I will say this. Um, when you get to know me, obviously my favorite sport is football. Just about every single podcast, I'm going to find a way to talk football because, as I've always said, football is king in Oklahoma. And when you're talking about running a website and doing a podcast, football pays the bills. But also, I'm a huge fan. I played football. I coached football. I love football. I don't care who's playing on TV. I'll watch a game. All that said, softball is probably my second favorite. And I got into this through, through the journalistic method. I, I, I went, I got assigned, I got to go and cover the, the, this team, uh, Oklahoma, through a, through a super regional into the Women's College World Series, and it, it won me over. Absolutely won me over. And I've been, I've been doing this for over a decade now. Uh, absolutely won me over. This is, this is a fun sport. I, you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again, particularly when these ladies start uh, playing home games in Norman. If you've never been, you need to go. Oklahoma softball absolutely has to be a must experience if you are a fan of Oklahoma Sooner Athletics. So understand that the answer here is coming from not just a journalistic side, but it's also coming from a, a fan side. And the answer from both perspectives is absolutely yes. The fan in me wants to remind you that Patty Gasso is hands down the best softball coach in America. The fan side of me wants to remind you that they are the 10 time or the nine time going for 10 time defending big 12 champions. The fan in me wants to remind you that this team returns a ton of starters, all Americans. They return the, the national player of the year in Jocelyn Allo. So the fan in me wants to remind you of all that stuff. The journalist in me wants to say ditto to every single thing the fan in me just said. But there is a caveat here, and it's got to be pitching. When you look at the loss of Giselle Juarez, particularly on, on the circle, replacing her, is, 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 that's going that's gonna to determine, absolutely, it's going to determine how deep this team goes. I think offensively, this team is going to be better than they were a year ago. 100% believe offensively better than they were a year ago. I think defensively, you got the best shortstop in the country. You got one of the best catchers in the country, hands down the best catcher in, in the Big 12. But what's happening in the circle? You, you look at Jada Coleman in center field, you got the best outfielder in the country. Defensively, they're going to be strong. So offensively, better than a year ago when Jocelyn Allo set records. Defensively, better than a year ago when they were very, very solid on the field. The only thing that's different with this team 
2022, then what we saw in 2021 is going to be what happens in the circle, where Nicole May now steps up into that role um, of being one of. And she was she was key. Don't don't get me wrong. She was key last season. She was a key part of the of the of the regional, the super regional, and the women's college world series. But now she steps into an even larger role. And then what is Jordan Ball going to do? Now, you've heard nothing but good things about Jordan Ball through the winter, through the fall. But now the, when those, those lights come on for real, what's it going to be like for her? So those are the things that are going to answer this question. And, and I'm sticking with my answer true with the understanding that these ladies in the circle are going to be every bit what they were advertised to be throughout the fall and the winter but even if they're not, even if they're not up to par, I think this team is going to be so good offensively that they're just really going to, it's going to be fun. They're going to set records this year, okay? Just prepare yourself. This softball team is going to set records. You thought last year was an offensive explosion. Wait till 2022 strikes. It's going to be a lot of fun. So buckle up if you're an Oklahoma softball fan. If you're not an Oklahoma softball fan yet, you need to jump on board. All right, let's jump back over into football, over to the gridiron. We're going to close this out uh, with two football questions. Uh, last, This is actually the last true or false question, though, and then we have another one that's just a discussion question. But here we go, true or false. Uh, this comes from Caleb. Having a pro-style quarterback will upset a lot of OU fans at the start of the season. No, I, I, don't, think that's, I don't think that's true. I'm going, to, I'm going to go with a big, fat false here because I, I, think, I think dealing the, the longer this saga moves on, Uh, with Caleb Williams, the more this fan base is embracing Dylan Gabriel. You, You heard me on the last on the last podcast episode basically say it's time it's Dylan Gabriel's time. This is his team at this moment because he's on campus because he's gone through those workouts with Schmitty. And by the way, if you've ever played football, if you've ever been a part of the sport, you you can't you understand this. There is a a value in going through that sweat, blood, and tears of those offseason workouts together. Caleb Williams isn't a part of that right now. But guess who is? Dylan Gabriel. And I, and I think the more he's around and Caleb Williams isn't, it endears him not just to the teammates, but also to the fan base to where when he takes the field next fall, it's going to be to a standing ovation. And, and it's because he wanted to be here. We're, we're, regardless of what happens with Caleb Williams, again, he could come back. But I think if he comes back, he's chasing Dylan Gabriel at this point. But where Caleb Williams chose to jump in the portal and survey his options, the very second, the very second Dylan Gabriel got a call from Jeff Levy, he was here. Remember, he was, uh, we, we said this again, if, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you're like, Matt, you've already said this, but I mean, the guy was about to start classes at UCLA. He's on campus. He's in Westwood. And Jeff Levy calls, he's on a plane to Norman. So that's going to endear him. I don't think the fan base is going to care whether he's a dual threat, whether he's a running quarterback, or whether he's a pro-style quarterback. What they're going to care about is the fact that he's here, that he's on campus, that he is the guy to lead this team. And I think, honestly, the reality of the situation is, I think Dylan Gabriel, the way he plays, his style of play is going to remind a lot of people about Baker Mayfield. 
I'm not saying he's going to be Baker Mayfield 2.0. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying the way he plays, the way he's going to lead this team, and the way he's actually going to do it on the field, I think he's going to remind you of a left-handed Baker Mayfield. I really do. But whether the fan base cares whether he's pro style or not, no, I don't think they. I don't think they do. I think that they care. What they care about is the fact that he's here, and that he's the captain of this team now. Moving forward, this is Dylan Gabriel's team. Caleb Williams set himself back by jumping in the portal. Whether he comes back or not, again, I don't think he's coming back. But should he? He's behind Dylan Gabriel at this point. And that's, that's, that's of Caleb Williams choosing. So here we're, we're going to close this out. Um, and this isn't a true or false statement, but I, I do, I'd love to hear your comments on this. Uh, you can, again, through Twitter or through the website, however you do it. But Josh says this, as a, as a longtime fan, did you get the feeling that Lincoln Riley might not be the guy to take us, to take the University of Oklahoma to SEC glory? And I got to be honest with you. I didn't. I didn't get that feeling. I, I think you go back and, and you look at the, the key losses, right? Um, they're, they're all explainable, right? You, you go back to the, to the Rose Bowl loss against Georgia, and you think, man, you know, that's just a young coach out of his element. In the, in the first time, that was the first time he was on the big stage, first-year head coach, and he got outcoached by Kirby Smart. He really did. But you, you, you couldn't help but as disappointed as we were as fans from that loss, you couldn't help walk away from that thinking, well, I mean, the future's bright, you know? Um, and then you got the Kyler Murray loss. Um, you got, you know, the Jalen Hurts loss. Those are the really good teams. And, and you go to the Peach Bowl with, with, with Jalen Hurts, that team, and, and you, got, you got all the guys that are out for the, for the drug suspension. Um, Kyler Murray running in the buzzsaw, that Alabama team. You just, you, if I, as, as a fan, just had the feeling that they were close. This is the first year. The 2021 season was the first year you really began to have question marks about Lincoln Riley. When you saw the regression of Spencer Rattler, you saw the questionable play calling uh, with, with Caleb Williams, and you just kind of wonder, what is happening? What is going on? Well, now we know. I mean, we, we have all those answers. But prior to that, prior to the 2021 season, to me as a fan, no, I, I did not have an inclination or I doubt that Lincoln Riley was going to be the coach of this team and that Oklahoma could ultimately go on to, to compete at a high level in the SEC. All that said, I, I think I, no, I am. I, there's no thing to it. I, I'll say this as a statement. I'm glad he's gone. Knowing what we know now, I'm glad he's out the door. I, I'm, I'm glad he's, he's, he's USC's problem. Let him be USC's problem. I, I think this coaching staff, what Brent Venables has put together I think Oklahoma has, has a, made an upgrade. This isn't just a fan of me talking. Oklahoma's made an upgrade with the coaching staff. You've got a seasoned coach, not a head coach, but a seasoned coach in Brent Venables, who's won championships at different schools on different levels. You've got one of the most innovative offensive minds in the game running the offense. Brent Venables is going to be heavily involved with Ted Roof on the defense. 
you, you held over guys like like Kale Gundy, uh, guys like DeMarco Murray, guys like Joe John Finley, who are real the go-getters uh, recruiting offensively. When you brought in some guys like Coach Jay and, and some of these other guys defensively that can go out and get, get guys as well. So yeah, I think Oklahoma's in a better spot coaching-wise than where they were with Lincoln Riley. But that said, I was kind of in the dark to this. I think I was just wrapped up in, in the machine of Oklahoma football, thinking that they'll continually get better, and 2021 was an anomaly. But, again, now we know uh, what the story was, and I think, I think Oklahoma fans are going to be pleased with the end result to how this all turned out. All right, this is going to wrap it up for this this edition of the Sooner Nation podcast. Again, I'm Matt Hofeld. You can find us every day on the internet, Oklahoma City Thunder coverage, Oklahoma Sooners coverage. We throw a bone to Oklahoma State every now and then. Uh, you can just hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Hope you have a fantastic weekend, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going. Boomer Sooner.